Thanks, Scott. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here for worship. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to start off with a word of prayer, so let's pray. God, we thank you for first for your presence, God. Just as Cody shared, Lord, we know that you're here with us, and we, we are grateful, Lord. God, we just pause to just quiet our hearts right now. Pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, minister to us, God. Challenge us. Convince us that we really need you. Convict us of areas that we're straying far from you. Just pause right now, God, to just, just give you the freedom to work in our hearts and our minds. We do pray, God, just as we sang, for surrender. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, has it been a good weekend for you so far? So far? So far so good? Good. Did a wedding yesterday. It was a lot of fun. Just always enjoy um, enjoy weddings, especially when I know the couple well. And So Daniel and Melanie, part of our church, got married last night. And just really fun to be able to experience that with them and to see... I love one of my favorite parts about weddings is seeing families, just parents kind of giving their children away and just the significance and then being able to be right there up close to them and to be able to see the expressions and all that is just very, very special thing. So um, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Sometimes I get a little sentimental. So <laughs> last night was one of them. I found myself getting a little teary eyed during the ceremony and I had to stay focused, focused. Not about you, Josh. It's about them right now. It's actually about the Lord, so hard to stay focused. All right, I'm going to get on track right now. So, Well, we are looking at what God has to say about money. And the theme verse is, it's not in the top of your listening guide. I think we've got it here up on the screen. So the theme verse is Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Isn't that true? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied by his income or with his income. This was not written by someone who had never really had money. This isn't written by someone who was who was poor. This is actually written by King Solomon, the richest man alive at his time. And there's nothing wrong with money or even having lots of it. The problem always occurs when we decide we love it. That's when the problems start cropping up. How do we know that we've crossed the line from using money to loving money. Solomon says the key indicator in this verse is the fact that we're never satisfied. We're just never okay with how much we have. At that point, it becomes a problem. It doesn't matter whether we have a little or a lot. The love of money is always paired with discontentment. So this is an area we have to guard against. That's really the focus of what we're going to look at this morning. Last week, we looked about we looked at stress and just overall financial stress and some priorities that God has set. But today I really want to look at the idea of the stuff that we have or the idea of contentment. And so, a couple of questions. Are you content with your current financial situation? Are you content? Here's the definition of contentment. To be free of external circumstances. Contentment doesn't mean that you never want another raise. That's not what contentment means. Um, or have no ambition to grow your income. It's That's complacency. That's not contentment. Contentment is this, to be free of external circumstances. So, do you have joy apart from 
money and the, do our emotions rise and fall with our net worth? I, I for, for a little while, there's a Quicken program where you can input all your information. I never got the thing to really cooperate well with my bank system, so it never was all that useful, the computer online program. Maybe some of you use that. But I think there's this place in there where it shows your net worth. And after a while, it got a little discouraging. I think that was one of the other contributing factors to why I didn't want to use it. But is money what makes your day good or bad? It It has this... If if our hearts are tied to money, then it it has this power over us to be able to just jerk us around. So I want to really have an honest look because money can have us by the throat. It can just grab hold of us. It's a struggle to be free of its grasp. And so this morning what I want to look at is three practices of contentment from the Scripture. And again, these what we're looking at this morning and in this series are intended to be really practical stuff. It's intended that you... Um, hopefully, as you're going through the listening guide, as we're looking at these things, that God would bring specific things to your mind that you say, you know what, that's right where we're at. That's right where I'm at. And that you jot down like a word or a phrase or a number or something that reminds you to do something, to take action in a certain area. So the first one is this. And we looked at this briefly last week. Is the first practice of contentment is you've got to develop a plan. Without a plan, and you have to work the plans. One thing, and I don't know about you, but have you ever developed a plan? and then done nothing with it, whether it be a workout plan, a financial plan, a life plan, and just sits there and you're like, oh, you you run into it six months later, a few years later, wow. I took some time to write this out, but I never did anything with it. Same thing with a financial plan. Unless you work the plan, then it really is no good. If we're going to break free from our financial circumstance, then we first must construct some fences around the way we use money. And some fences around our mind even. If we let our money roam, just roam free, then we will echo what John Rockefeller said when he was asked, how much is enough? You probably know the answer to this question. He said, just a little bit more. He's the wealthiest man in his time. But just a little bit more. But there's a verse that describes what we experienced in Proverbs. It's Proverbs 27.20. It says, death and destruction are never satisfied. And neither are the eyes of man. That's talking about the eye of desire. We want some things. We desire some things. All man does. Like death and destruction, our desires, the desires we have, they never say, all right, that's enough. I'm good. Our desires are never satisfied, the Scripture says. Death is a horrible thing. But just because one person dies, death doesn't say, all right, I can't take it anymore. That's it. Everyone's going to live forever. Death is never satisfied. Destruction, same thing. Just because things break, one thing falls apart, doesn't mean it's the last thing that will ever break. And in this fallen world, stuff just falls apart. Stuff just doesn't last. Destruction happens. And so in the same way, the Scripture is saying, that's true of our desires, of our of our wants, of our eyes. And just as we look into the future and look around us, we can constantly see something else that we want. Something else we'd like to have. Matter of fact, everyone in this room, if we were to be honest, all of us have some things that we really want right now. There's some things that we've been looking at. There's some things we've been, we've had our eye on purchasing. There's some things maybe we realize right now we can't afford them, but there's some things in our mind that we'd really like to have. In the beginning of summer, I stopped by Best Buy on the way home from my office, and I, it was a, it was a random thing. It should have been the first sign of danger. 
Best Buy is not a place. I, I like stores, and I do enjoy Best Buy, but I'm not the typical Best Buy guy. So, But I did stop by there on the way home from my office, and I was looking for a personal, uh, just like a basic, I guess it would be called basic home computer, a desktop computer. And I started looking at the basic models, you know, just the basic model just to get us by. But very quickly, my eye was drawn to the iMac. Yeah, have you seen the iMac? Some of you guys have iMacs, but, you know, it's just, what is the size of the minis- of the small screen? Anybody know? Don't we have some Apple salespeople in here? Maybe it's next service. It's like 27 inches is the small. And then there's like a 60 inch, no, it's more like 32 or something. But there's these screens that just, they're just brilliant. The graphics just pop. Everything about it, you know, and you're looking, where is all this stuff? Because it's all in this little slim screen and everything, the processor, everything is in this screen. And it's just amazing. And now put yourself in my shoes, you know, real basic, simple computer, iMac, just screaming at you. Noises, sounds, all this stuff. You know, put yourself in your, in my shoes. What's keeping me from getting this computer? <clears throat> honestly, I, I don't have the money for it. But that's not true. They were kind enough <laughs> to offer me all sorts of options that I didn't know were available to me at the, at the time when I walked in that store. So before I knew it, I was walking out. I couldn't even use the regular shopping cart with all that I purchased. They needed to bring in one of those flats. I'm walking out with the computer, the iMac, a printer, two packs of paper, two ink cartridges, because you need color and black and white for those things, a three-year warranty plan, all on a 0% for 18 months Best Buy credit card. The whole way home, I'm going home and I'm driving. I'm, I'm, I'm swinging back and forth in a range of emotions from extreme excitement and anticipation to serious guilt over what I've just done. And I figured I'm going to set it all up. I knew my wife would be home late because she had meetings. My wife and kids would be home really late. I'm going to set it all up. I'm going to put it in this one spot. And I'm going to have it running some really cool videos. So when she walks in the door, she's going to be blown away just like I was. Let's just say she wasn't as excited when she walked in the door. I think the question she asked was, how is this part of the plan? And it wasn't. And I knew it. I ended up Boxing it back up. Returning everything a few days later. Thankfully, they have a 30-day return policy, which was a pretty humbling experience, coming back to the to the return counter with all this stuff. What's the problem, sir? Is it, oh, no, I just changed our mind. But the reason I didn't keep that new fi- that, that new computer is, is the fact that we have a financial plan that will not work if I do that. And it's... I don't know if you've ever been caught up in the whole emotion or the compulsion, if that's the word. But if we don't have a plan, then it's just our desires trying to convince our brains what we really need. And then we know who wins that battle almost every time, don't we? Our desires. Plans help us distinguish between needs and wants. And as much as I knew the plan, my desires kind of got a hold of me. But the plan still, thankfully for my wife, it won over. Our English word for contentment comes from a Latin word meaning to contain. The word contentment means, it comes from the word 
to contain and we will not be content until we contain our desires. When we develop a financial plan, what we're doing is we're constructing fences around our desires. We're saying, you can go this far, not, not any further. Another time, a friend of mine, good friend, bought me a Best Buy gift card for my birthday. It's like a $25 gift card, I think. So I went to Best Buy to see what I could get for $25. A movie, maybe. A CD, possibly. Printer ink, you know. I think I settled on printer ink at one point. But then I saw a backpack. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I need a backpack. So I end up, it's right there, actually. $80, though. $25 gift card, $80 backpack, you know. The moral of the story, it's not good to go to Best Buy without a plan. If you're a man. Or without your wife, if you're married. But what's your plan? That, that's really for you to decide. It's something we've got to wrestle with. If you're, in, if you're single, you've got to figure out what is my plan. If you're married, you've got to work a plan together and then you have to speak up when someone wants to blow past the plan. I had to use other money in order to compensate for the difference of this. But you have to decide these things before we walk into places. I want to give you just briefly on here a sample plan. You see that in there, 10, 10, 80. This is just a sample plan. Last week we talked about the fact that there are only three things you can do with your money. Three things. You can give it, you can save it, or you can spend it. We talked about how God's order of priority is is we give first, we save second, and then we spend out of what's left over. We typically want to flip it around in America. We want to spend first, and then if there's anything left over, we'll work on maybe some savings. And then if there's anything potentially left over, we might give God or give others something else. But don't get hung up on these percentages. Uh, but these things represent the just... The money or the percentage you allocate to these three areas. Spending will always rise to the top unless you give and save enough to alter your lifestyle or alter your spending. That's what we talked about last week. Spending 80% of your income is not the magic number of being content. What matters most is that you have an established plan, that you work out a plan with a limit because the struggle is never giving too much or saving too much. It's always spending too much. This is always our struggle. Our desires roam past the fences unless we just make the fences tall enough. And usually it is our, it is our giving and our saving that, that help us with this area of contentment. If you don't have a plan, then there's really no way to know if you're practicing contentment. Contentment is not something we just do and that you can tell, wow, he's a really content person. He's always smiling. He must be really content. You know, this guy, he's always smiling. He's really, a smile is not a sign of contentment. If you're spending outside the borders, then most likely you're discontent in some area. Now, anytime I personally overspend, in my mind, I can usually justify the expenditure. In my mind, I'm like, well, I, you know, it's, it's, it fits into this. But the truth is, if I take a moment and look closely, I, I get deeply convicted over the fact that I want to spend more than the plan. But the truth is, God has provided a certain amount of money for us. He says, this is how much you have. And to go beyond that is just us saying, God, that's really not enough. It's not enough. Our desires will never be satisfied. God has said, here's, here's what you have to work with. Everybody in here has, you know, a source of income coming from somewhere. Could be parents. You might be, you know, you might have an allowance. Could be you have some chores and you're getting this much money to do your chores. It could be you've got a job. It could be you're, you're earning 
money off retirement or pension, or but you have this much money. And we've got to wrestle with, okay, how, how am I going to make this work and get the priorities done? Seven years ago, I was trying to, um, we were moving from double income, no kids, to one income, one kid. And the challenge with that was shifting your lifestyle. And if you've ever been in that situation, you know the struggle there. And what was happening is we were overspending every month, just a little bit. And money was, money was just going into an equity line and, it, and very quickly we were overspending and it was just, we were digging this hole. And I met with a friend who I really trust. He's a lot older than me. And, and he said this. He looked at all of our situation. He looked at my income. He looked at all of our bills. He looked at everything and he said, Josh, good news. You don't have an income problem. You've got a spending problem. I said, all right. And then, and he proceeded to look at what we spend our money on. And he just said, you know what? These are things that, that they were priorities or they were okay on there back in the day when you were both working and there was no kids and you had a lot more money to work with. But right now, these are, these are going to have to be put on hold. You cannot afford to go in the hole each month. You're going to have to decide where that fence is. Because the truth is, God has provided a certain amount of money for us to work with. Anytime we decide it's not enough, we, we push, we're pushing against something that He has set at this moment in our life. So I want to encourage you, develop a plan. You'll see that it's in there, my plan. I'd encourage you to begin to think through, what is that for me? I encourage you to start working this through. Set up a fence, otherwise your desires will roam free. The second practice of contentment is this, accept God's plan. This is what Paul calls the secret of contentment. This is, Paul says, this is the secret. This is what I have learned about this whole area of contentment. The Apostle Paul, he's an early church planter, first century church planter, who at this point in his ministry, he's in prison. He's in a Roman prison because he was sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was leading people to Christ. He was building or he was establishing churches. And through all of this, he winds up in prison. And he's in a very needy situation at this point. But look at how he approaches it. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. When Paul says he knows what it is to be in need, He's not talking about being in need as an American. He's not saying, I know what it is to be a needy American. Because when an American is in need, it's a very, very different thing than when most of the world considers, I'm in need. He didn't need, you know, his need didn't threaten his house. He wasn't about to lose his house. His need didn't threaten his job. He wasn't in concern about that. He was in need of food. He didn't know if he was going to eat. He's saying, I don't know if I'm going to eat. He wonders if he's going to have enough food to survive. Again, he's in a Roman prison, and he, he's, he's short on supply. So he says he's learned the secret of being content. And he says it's kind of been across this wide spectrum of circumstances, from very little food to having plenty. Contentment is necessary for all of us at both ends of the spectrum. Whenever we have very little, if you're operating at a point right now where you, you have very little to work with, this is how much you have and no more. These are the limits. This is what you've got right now. You, 
what, what we're we're in very or we're in danger of becoming extremely discouraged at that point. And this is the struggle with contentment. We have to guard against discouragement or feeling like I've been abandoned or how could God? We start pointing the finger at God. How could you? How could I be in this spot right now? And so we start wrestling with this whole issue. He says, there's a secret. You've got to be content, even when you have very little. But there's also a struggle over here to be content when we have a lot. Paul says, I've learned to be content when I've had plenty. So anytime we're on the other end of the spectrum, when we have an abundance, when we have wealth, we have more money than we really know what to do with, we're also in danger of becoming self-sufficient. Over here, we're, we're in danger of just separating ourselves from God and saying, I got this. You know? So Paul's saying, you've got to learn on both ends of the spectrum. Don't become self-sufficient. Don't get too discouraged and think that God has forgotten about you. He says, I've learned the secret. Literally, these, this phrase here, I've learned the secret, it means I've been initiated. It, it, this word is only used in referring to um, like neighboring cults that would have initiation. Not hazing, but kind of like initiation ceremonies into their cults. What he's saying is, I've learned by experience that the true secret of contentment is not found in my circumstances, whether I have a lot, whether I have a little. He says, I've been initiated. I, I have I've arrived at a new experience by going through something. What's the secret? He says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. This is the secret to contentment. This is not just some motivational speech to to, to put on my car. This is not just some motivational speech to repeat to myself when I'm down. This phrase contains the answer to why you and I are in the situations that we're in. Just like Paul 2,000 years ago. Why are you in the situation you're in right now? Whether it's good, why are things so good? Or why are things so bad? Did they just happen? Is it a matter of luck or, or chance? Every situation on this spectrum of situations is a result of two different actions. And from this verse, and just we realize the first is this. He says, I can do everything. Meaning, you and I are in our current situation because in large part of what we have done or have not done, whether good or bad, there's some things that we've done or have not done that contribute to where, where we're at right now, to what we're experiencing. But that's not the whole story. The sentence goes on. I can do everything through Him. Everything I do is through Him. I can't do anything outside of what He either allows to happen or makes happen. Everything. Everything in my life. Everything in your life. He filters all of it. He screens it all. So I'm in the situation I'm in, not only because of what I did, or what I didn't do, but because of what God has decided to do. That's the, the big overlay of our current situation, is this is part of God's plan for our life. Your situation, the fact that you're, you're just, you're dealing with very little right now, you're trying to manage faithfully and steward carefully this very little, that's, God has allowed that in your life right now. Or if you're dealing with an abundance, God has allowed that right now for a certain reason. He, he's working out His plan in our life. And maybe I've been doing the wrong thing for years, and so maybe this time God has decided to, me, to let me feel the consequences for my actions. We don't really know. I don't know all of the reasons why I'm experiencing on God's, from God's vantage point. But I know that God has a filter for my life situation. I know that nothing I'm experiencing is just caught him off guard. He has a filter. All I know is that there is a there's a plan. He's working something out. And I can be content. Independent of how I feel, independent of my circumstances, I can be content in him. 
And God, knowing this about God, that He has a purpose behind my situation, really, really sets my heart at ease. It really helps me. And my job is to figure out how to cooperate with Him. To start working with Him and stop doing things that, that are displeasing to Him. Allowing Him to, to keep me in this situation, being okay with being in this situation for as long as He says it. He, he'll change my circumstances when He decides to change them. But not only is God superintending the details of my life, but He's also there to give me strength. That's what the verse says. Who gives me strength? I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. He's very much in the game with us. He's on the field playing. He's not out in the bleachers, falling asleep. He's not off in the distance. He's, he's, he's on the playing field. He's working with us, trying to strengthen us along the way. And this is extremely important. We need strength because it takes time for us to change. It takes time for things to change in our life. It doesn't just magically overnight. Our, our situation financially does not just turn around, does it? And so we've got to wrestle with this because to be discontent is to kind of bust through the walls that God has set up even in our life. Knowing He's got a plan, we've got to be careful. We have to understand that God is working His plan out. He's exercising His power in our life. He's filtering things that we experience and there have been a handful of times in my life where I've just wanted to say, this is too much to bear, God. There's been a number of times since we've planted this church since I've, that I've struggled greatly with contentment. I've questioned some decisions, some of the choices and risks we've taken as a church, but I keep coming back to the fact that God filters it all. Like everything, God has a purpose in it. I was recently in a meeting with our financial secretaries a few months ago now. I shared this with our membership, but I was looking at our financial position. We do this every week. We look at just the finances of the church, and she was reporting on where things are at, and I was discouraged to say, none the least to say. I was just looking at it. I was discouraged. I was keeping it inside as I'm reading, and I wanted the pressure to lift. I wanted a good report, and she was sharing not a good report. And I feel bad for her. At times, because she has to give these reports and uh, be the bearer of dark news. And at that moment, she left my office, and, and I wanted to just crawl up under my desk <laughs> in fetal position and just, <laughs> all right. And all I could do was just ask God for strength in that moment. All I could do, and so what I did was I, I asked our staff to come into my office, and I could barely get a prayer out of my mouth. Because I realized, God, we're totally dependent on you here. I could barely say that, though, because I was emotionally, I think, just really struggling with this whole area. But as I prayed and just surrendered it once again to God, and as our staff prayed, and God strengthened me. And I, I remember, I just remember my countenance shifting in that meeting, just turning it over to God and saying, it's yours. This is your church. This is your, you've got a plan. Again, nothing that we're experiencing has not been filtered by him. He, he's, he's in it all. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've learned the secret of being content by reading, not by reading about it, but by, or not by being told about it. He's saying by going through it, by practicing contentment. God eventually shifted Paul's circumstances by sending provision. He was actually writing this portion of a letter to, to thank this church and saying, thank you for, for meeting the needs that I have. But he said, you know what? You've sent the gift and I've got this gift. They, this church, the church in Philippi had sent him financial assistance to meet his, his need. 
But he's saying, you know what? I'm grateful for the gift, but I've learned to be content with little. I've learned to be content with a lot. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Thank you for my for your gift and for your generosity. He said, I'm more excited about how God's going to bless your life than I am about this gift. Because as you've given, he says, God's going to continue to, to meet your needs. Verse 19. God's, and my God will supply all your needs. He's saying, as, as this, as that church reaches out beyond their borders and supplies for the needs of Paul, he's saying, God's going to keep meeting your needs. That's the same for us. As we reach out beyond our church, as we reach out beyond our lives, God meets our needs in, in amazing ways. But Paul's saying, I went through the circumstances. I didn't, God didn't just miraculously lift them. I went through it. He practiced contentment. What is your financial situation? Whatever it is, choose contentment. The last thing is this, very quickly. Ignore their plan. These are three practices. Develop my plan, accept God's plan, and then thirdly, ignore their plan. This is whatever the plan God has for someone else. Ignore the plan that God has for everyone else. One of the greatest causes of discontent is noticing what other people have and what we don't have. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, he gives us an example from his very own life. Jesus, at the end of his time here on earth, he pulls this very close friend and disciple to him. He pulls him aside and he says to Peter, you're going to die. And he describes to Peter, you're going to die a very awful death. Peter was crucified upside down. He was crucified though. And he's telling Peter how he's going to die. He's going to be bound and led to his death. And Peter, at this point of the story, when Jesus is telling him how he's going to die, Peter looks around and he sees another one of the disciples, John. John the Apostle. He's walking by and he did what all of us do when we believe our circumstances are pretty bad. We look around for something else or someone else. And look at what happens. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him, following them. This was the one, this is John, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper. And it said, Lord, who is going to betray you? So he's, he's referring to John, who had reclined at the Last Supper against Jesus. And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? He's talking about, is he going to live or is he going to die like me or is he going to suffer? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, what in the world does that have to do with your life? What does that have to do with you? Absolutely nothing, Peter. That's a common question. God, what about him? What about them, God? What about, how come they're not going through this? Or how come they get to have this? What about, what about them? They seem to always have it so easy. They seem to always have, just things are given to them. God, what about them? And the assumption is we should live similar lives, right? We should all just kind of, if God is really fair, then he would dish things out equally. He should just give us all the same things. And Jesus' answer to that thought is, what is that to you? He's saying, someone else's path is completely irrelevant to yours. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10-12, speaking of comparison, he says, he says, whenever we start comparing ourselves, we miss the point. We just miss it all together. We start getting sidetracked. If you look around, you look around in the room, if you look around in your life, God seems totally unconcerned about evenly dispensing life. 
doesn't he? It's kind of funny. But why? In the words of Job, a man who lost nearly everything, he said, Naked I entered the, into the world, and naked I will depart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This life is not about the stuff. It's about the plans that God has for us. This stuff is just stage props. All the stuff that we have is just like props on the stage. We get to come on stage for a certain number of years in this life. We get to play a role for a certain number of years. We're all limited to the number of years that God, number of days that God has set for us. We come on stage for a certain period of time. We're given some stuff, some props to use. We get some props and we get all excited about the props that we get to use in this life and we lose focus about the role that we were asked to play while we're on stage. We get too excited about the stuff and the props, not excited enough about the role that He's asked us to play. The big question is, what part has God assigned to me? What plan has God laid out before me? Some of you have more money than me, and some of you have less money. And it's not because God is playing favorites. He's not playing favorites. It's because He has a unique plan for each of us. So again, ignore their plan. Ignore other people's plans. Just consider, what is it God wants me to do? When we're in heaven, I suspect we're all going to have a hard time remembering all that we had, all the props that we had in this life. I think we're going to be so focused on that place and all the, all the amazing things we'll experience in that place that we're going to have a hard time remembering the details of this place. This place is going to pale in comparison to that place. And the best way I know how to get our minds off of another person's plan is gratitude. Gratitude gets our mind off of another person's plan. When we choose gratitude, whenever you start noticing other people's plans and other people's props, pull out this list. I'd encourage you to write a list out. God, thank you for the things. Just be grateful. If you're married, take some time today. Write out. If you're not married, take some time on the back. Just write out the things that you know God has provided. And just, God, thank you. Thank you for these things that you've given. And any time you get, ooh, ooh, look at this thing that he's got. Look at what they just got. Pull out the list. God, thank you. Thank you for this. I'm grateful to you. Take out that connection card. On the back you see these next steps here. First next step is develop a financial plan by the end of this series. You've got to work a plan. If you don't have a plan, you know that less than 40% of Americans actually have a budget. And even less than that, work their plan. So, I, w- I would imagine probably 40% of us in here have a budget. And then less, work that budget. But develop a plan. We actually have on the back table, the resources, guest information table, there's a family budgeting packet back there. It's from Crown Financial Ministries. We made copies of it. If you'd like, pick one up. And if you don't have a plan and you just would like some help on that, we want to offer that to you for free. I would encourage you to, to work that through. If we run out, just come and let me know. I'd love to get you one if, if they run out. The second one is Philippians 4.13. Memorize this verse. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Remember, primarily this verse is tied to the area of contentment in our finances. Contentment with what God has supplied into our life. The last thing, create a gratitude list. I would encourage you sometime this week to compile a list and to thank God. Um, in just a moment, our ushers are going to be receiving our offering. And Cody, you can go ahead and work your way up here. If you miss a Sunday during this series, I'd encourage you to just go on our website. If you missed last week, I think that 
set a backdrop for the for the series that we're in. And so if you'd like, I'd encourage you to go ahead and go to our website, pull it up, and, and you can listen to any of the messages online there from our website. Next week, we're going to look at debt. And the big question we're asking is, enough debt? You had enough debt. So let's let's pray together. God, we just thank you for the situations that we're in right now. This current situation in our lives did not get past you. It didn't sneak by you. You have a purpose in it right now. And God, I pray, I pray you'd encourage everyone in this room to know that you are in their plan. God, that you're working something out. God, even through our poor, poor choices, even through decisions that we made that were from the wrong priorities, Lord, you can still work from, you can work with us, Lord. You can help us make progress. It ain't going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be magic eraser in our life. But, Lord, if we'll do things your way, we'll rearrange our priorities. And with your help and grace, Lord, you can move us in this area in a totally different direction to be a blessing to people, Lord. So we just ask you for that. We ask you for strength right now. Collectively, we just we say we need you. We really do. God. We're desperate for your work in our life. And in this area, God, we just ask you to give us help, Lord, give us perspective. And though these principles may seem challenging, or maybe we've heard these things many, many times, God, I pray that if we're ignoring some of these principles, Lord, I pray you just you just remind us, God. You humble us, God, in these areas, Lord. All of that we have, everything, every penny, God, you've asked us to steward. You've placed it into our lives. Help us to steward wisely. We want you to be a Please, God, with the way that we use your resources. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.